0: And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Apologies to the liberals and the Antifa scumbags who thought I had dropped off the map, disappeared, and disintegrated. Unfortunately for you guys, I am back. Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Whitfield Report. I am Sam Whitfield, host of this program. And without further ado, let's get this new year started, ladies and gentlemen. Our website is thesamwitfield.com, where you can find my show notes, my blog, links to all of my social media outlets, and so much more. I just got a new uh, design, a new template, which kind of reformatted the site, I think it looks much better uh, in terms of readability and it it just looks sleek and awesome. So we have a new website, it's a new year ladies and gentlemen and I want to thank you for joining me. First off I'd like to take the first few minutes of the program to address uh, last year, 2017 stopped doing the podcast sort of abruptly last year and I apologize to my fans who were regular listeners of the podcast. Long story short, the reason why I uh, had to stop doing the podcast was because back in September or so, we had a big hurricane here in Florida, which shut everything down for a few weeks. My college campus was closed down. Uh, fortunately, no one was hurt hurting um, Hurricane Irma, at least no one that I knew. My property was okay, I was okay, everything was fine. Uh, but because of the hurricane, I had to catch up a lot on school and all of that jazz, all of my college courses, well, everyone did, not just me. Um, and by the time I got caught up with everything school-related, because of the hurricane, it was pretty much time for final exams. Um, and. Because of those two things, I was not able to do anything real related to the podcast or politics for a while. And I'm I'm sorry I wasn't there to uh, provide more content for you at the end of last year. But it is what it is. It's a new year. Happy 2018. And uh, we're going to be providing lots more content here at the Whitfield Report for you in 2018 and I know we have a few new audience uh, members so thank you for tuning in and happy to have you aboard for this new year. My first guest for this year is Mark Goryov. He is a uh, congressional candidate running in Arizona, and Mark and I met at the end of last year in a uh, Facebook group for millennial concertos that we belong to, and uh, his campaign manager, um, Katie Webb, also happens to now be a board member of American Watchmen, which is the publication that I run in conjunction with this podcast. I'll be having her on in a few weeks to talk about herself and her background. But I wanted to invite Mark onto the podcast to discuss his campaign in Arizona. And even though this is a national show, I believe um, that focusing on state and local candidates is just as effective for spreading uh, conservatism, especially in the millennium generation. So Mark is our guest this week, and without further ado, I'm going to cue my interview up for him. Enjoy, folks. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. And joining me for the first interview of the year, we have Mark Grigoryov, who is running for uh, Congressional District 9 as a representative in Arizona. And uh, Mark has a very interesting background. He's been in the uh, military, and um, I actually met Mark a few... Uh, months ago back in December in a Google Hangout group that we uh, belong to and through a friend of ours uh, we decided to have him on the show and it's all worked out. So uh, Mark, thank you for uh, joining me. How are you today? Hey, th- hey, thanks for inviting me. I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, sir. So uh, Mark, as I mentioned, you have a pretty interesting uh, background in the uh, military, but you're also an immigrant, uh, to the U S. So, uh, why don't you just briefly explain to us a little bit about your background, um, how you came to this country, what your military service was like, and, uh, anything else you'd like, uh, us to know about you.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, basically, um, I came to the United States when I was only three months old and basically, um, my parents, uh, they were, um, they Left the Soviet Union um, to find religious liberty in the West, and um, on their way to America, they stopped by in, in Italy and they're waiting for their final approval to enter the United States. And while they're waiting, uh, that's when I was born. I was born in Italy, and after I was born, uh, we came to America. I was a three month old baby, so I was almost born in the States, like almost. Uh, but um, basically, and, um, and then uh, I lived uh, in like three different, st- actually, like before I moved to Arizona, I lived in three different states. I grew up in Pennsylvania, lived in Oregon, lived in North Carolina. And then uh, I, I moved down to Arizona went to school. I joined the National Guard, did a three years in, in the National Guard. And uh, after that, I just, um, basically just, um, like, uh, with life as a regular American, just, uh, uh just a working class citizen who just, uh, uh, is uh, is enjoying, who basically is grateful to be in America than a- anywhere else. And, uh, I've been to Europe. Um, that's where I met, met my wife and, uh, and I, I, I've seen, um, let's say some stuff in Europe that, <laughs> that like, uh, not many Americans uh, would like to see. Like I went to Ukraine and. I, saw the conflict over there, like the civil war and that's happening. And, um, yeah, so I'm basically glad that like, I uh, got my wife out of there. Like, uh, and, uh, she's here in the States now with me and like we're both just, uh, I'm glad to be in America and, um, uh, like, um, that that's basically my, my whole background right there. <laughs> so I'm just, regular, I'm just a regular, regular working class American who was also an immigrant and um and of course i speak three different languages so that's another thing you'd like to know about me
0: (laughs) wow yeah Yeah. so you so you basically um you're you're an immigrant yourself and then your your wife is an immigrant too from the from the ukraine uh yeah correct so and then and then you served in the military so thank so thank you for your service sir i really appreciate that will you we love our veterans and um here. So uh, you've had a pretty interesting life. What motivated you to uh, decide that you wanted to run for Congress?
1: Uh, well, um, basically I got tired of the swamp, let's say that. <laughs> um, like uh, I realized that like no matter uh, who we vote for and like no matter what we do, um, basically Congress is technically the same um if you look at um if you look at the congress right now like if you look at the gop right now technically i mean the gop like the republican party is what really makes sense right now when it comes to trying to have some kind of sensible government but unfortunately it's dom- it's being dominated by let's say the, the baby boomers now i'm not against all baby boomers there are, there are some baby boomers who i would vote for 20 times right but Uh, A vast majority of them are basically ruining the party, and not just ruining the party; they're not doing anything for us. Uh, They're basically doing everything for themselves. Uh, They have not shown the government as we promised. They're always making compromises, right? And uh, they're trying to make deals. And and when you think when you think about it, these deals, you know, they're not they're not for our benefits. And that's what's going on. Uh, I'm sick and tired of these career politicians who just keep running for office keep uh, making promises for us and they're not really living up to their promises. And people say, well, they're experienced and we need to vote for experienced politicians. My question is, what has an experienced politician done for you and for me, other than just break their promises? Or not just break their promises, uh, they would uh, basically um, act out of their own interest. They won't act in our interest. They won't do anything good for us, uh, neither domestically nor internationally. And uh, as a regular uh, working class American, I'm just and tired of that. And I think we need some real change in Congress. We need real Americans, not not these uh, career politicians who've been uh, in Congress or the Senate for 20, 40 years. We need actual Americans who want real change. We need regular people to run for Congress. Uh, like we don't need no more experienced politicians. Uh, there are a few exceptions, but uh, the vast majority of experienced politicians are no longer our friends. They they do not represent us anymore. And so it's time for a, let's say, um, how do you call it for a peaceful uh, pe- people's revolution? And I'd say Trump is a good inspiration for that. Trump really inspired me because he's never had any political experience. People even said, well, he's not experienced, he's not qualified. Well, guess what? The unexperienced... Well, the inexperienced person like Trump basically just got into office and he's actually making some really good changes. Uh, For example, the tax cuts are a good example right there.
0: Yeah, the indeed the tax cuts are. I I just read yesterday, actually, that uh, Apple is uh, bringing back thirty eight billion dollars of their revenue back to the U.S. And uh, and that's just for taxes. Alone that they're going to be giving to the government, uh, it it was reduced at fifteen percent, and uh, because of that, they've been able to uh, add bonuses um, and give yeah finally give their employees uh, bonuses. I've
1: also heard that I've also heard that Apple is also adding more jobs too.
0: Yeah, I th- I think it's like they're supposed to add like twenty thousand on top of the already 120,000 employees they already have or something like that. And uh, and I hear that Amazon is following suit too. So yeah, that that's good. I, I did want to actually ask you about uh, Trump in and of himself, because I know that you worked somewhat um, on the campaign there in Arizona trying to get him elected. Um, do you feel that Trump's election um has opened um the gates for more ordinary americans to pursue political office now
1: uh yes it has i believe it it has but unfortunately (laughs) i know this, this might not sound like a good thing i mean i know this is not gonna sound like a good thing but i think the people who are more inspired to run for office are unfortunately democrats
0: because right, think, right, yeah.
1: Uh, like, if you look at what happened in 2017, by the end of 2017, uh, I believe it was 19 or 20 uh, states um, where they voted for uh, city office, state office, and I think I think like a few congressional seats as well, and just regular uh, folks, regular folks who got elected. And I believe the uh, governor of Virginia, or something like that, or I forgot which election it was. I think I think it was Virginia, where they had like um, some de- young Democrats win, and or like then there's some other states where you had young people. it was not just regular people; it was young people. And uh, the I give credit to Democrats though is that like they don't immediately start saying, "Well, you're too young, you're inexperienced, you shouldn't run." Uh, they encourage their young people to actually go for office. Um, right. And and I, and I understand why. Like uh, now they they're all running for the wrong reasons. They're running in opposition to Trump but I give them credit for actually, uh, realizing, Hey, they could actually run for office. <laughs> unfortunately with, with us, with our party, the GOP, unfortunately we got too many people who are, who are, are like, what's your experience and what's your background? Who do you think you are? How dare you even run? <laughs> right? Like, well, why don't you start small? Why don't you start like, uh, as a city councilman or something else. And, and like, uh, like, uh, we have, like, uh, again, we have this baby boomer generation, uh, trying to suppress uh the true like true working class not just working class americans just any regular person from running and um like uh so it has inspired people to run but i think it inspired the democrats more than it has the republicans and uh and again like uh like like again democrats they're they're running for the wrong reasons but like uh, a certain extent like um like it has inspired more people to run, regular people to start running, and 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 on the Republican side, we we got. I'm pretty sure in other states there are some regular folks who are starting to run for uh, some kind of political office, and uh, I believe in Louisiana there's a I forgot her name, but in Louisiana there's a millennial she's running for some kind of a, a state office as well. So yeah, I believe Donald Trump hasn't pushed this inspiration for regular people. Inexperienced people to just get up there and try to run, try to make it change.
0: yeah, um, and indeed well, you um well, I know you're running for Congress in arizona and, and i'm in I'm in Florida, and this is a national uh podcast, but even so, I wanted to ask you a few uh, questions because I'm originally from uh Colorado, which is right next door to Eric. Arizona, um, and I I believe it was Governor Jan Brewer at at the time uh, once came and spoke um, at a uh, convention I was in in Colorado, Colorado. and um, this was probably about like, oh, five or six years ago now, back in uh, 2012, but uh, one of the big uh, issues in Arizona Um, that I know of is obviously immigration. I know that uh, the Arizona border has been a big um, hot topic, not only statewide for you guys, but also uh, nationally. Um, So what is your position on the uh, Arizona uh, border and uh, immigration in general? And then uh, are there any... Specific uh, issues facing Arizona that you would like to uh, address, and what are your position- positions on those as well?
1: Well, I believe that we need a strong border, and not just for Arizona. I'd say um, basically for the whole country, especially the, the southern part, the southern border. And uh, I believe that, like we mm-hmm. should, uh, I believe that we should, are um, instead of wasting money, let's say on stuff. Like, um, for example, instead of um, giving money to Pakistan, why don't just put that money into the border? And I, I got no problem with the wall. Uh, to be honest, I mean, like I I would actually support actually support on um, building the wall. Again, not just in Arizona, but across the entire southern border, because well, we have to defend our values. Like, for example, like I, and again, I'm an immigrant, and I'm not against immigration myself. And I believe I believe that we need true immigration reform but simultaneously people need to come here legally people need to do it the right way because people need to get vetted because we need to make sure who's who like uh, for example that recent video on uh, Facebook that's been trending recently where they had um, an illegal immigrant who has been deported twice and he came back again and then he murdered uh, two police officers and he said that he'll do it again and all that stuff, you know, these are, and again, he's one of many, this guy, he's one of many illegals that come here. Now this does not mean all illegals are like that, but again, like had the person been vetted, maybe it could have been prevented. Or if we had a strong border, um, it wouldn't have happened. And I believe that border wall uh, would actually be a good way to kind of slow down the illegal immigration. Simultaneously, I believe that we need to return our national guard to the southern border. Because uh, when I was in the Guard, actually, we did have a program where um, uh, certain National Guard units would work uh, with simultaneously with the Border Patrol. Like, Border Patrol will be doing their own thing and the National Guard units uh, will be doing their own thing. Like, they'll, re- they'll report stuff to the Border Patrol, what they see and all that stuff. And I actually, when I was in the Guard, I tried to fill out an application to join those guys uh, down there in the border. But then, um, a month later, Obama got rid of that program. <laughs> and so like, uh, basically, uh, we had no more, so we have no more national guard in the Southern part of our border. Uh, and that's another thing that I would support, I would support bringing that back. And so simultaneously we need more people and we also need a wall. And again, if you can't get here, uh, Legally, then you shouldn't come at all. Because, again, we don't like uh, if you're not able, if you're not willing to pass a background check, you know, if you're not willing to follow our our laws, then sorry, you're a criminal. And uh, I believe that because it's not because what's really interesting it amazes me how so many people here believe that supporting open borders is a good thing because a lot of the illegals when they're coming here, they're not coming here to study. Constitution. They're not here to study our values. Like they're not here just to, to pick up a, a book on capitalism and uh, learn how to kind of grow the economy. They're coming here to get an easy to get an easy job that pays them dollars, and they also they come here for the benefits. And California is a good example of where a lot of them go to, and it's it's a it's a burden on our economy. It's a burden on the taxpayer. So I believe in strong immigration security and uh at the same time i do believe we need like some really good immigration reform because uh, i believe that it should not be hard to, to come here legally which is another reason why some people do try to come here legally because it's just um i, I think uh, it's a little uh, uh like uh for example when i try to get my wife over here uh to this country it, like it was a very uh it was a it was a very expensive process and uh it, like, um, like it could have taken a year or two years uh for it to come over here, but luckily, um, it, it only took, like, took us six months. But again, like, uh, like, but w- like, uh, what if it took a year? You know, that would have been really bad. <laughs> but like, I believe, but I believe that like, um, it shouldn't, it, it should not be too hard to come here legally. We should kind of figure out ways how we can make a faster background check, while at the same time have stronger border security as well and we need again we need more men on the border we need a stricter border policy law so again if you break if you come here illegally you, um like you should you should get punished you shouldn't you should be treated as a criminal
0: right i i agree i i do want to ask you um because your wife is an immigrant and because you uh, went through the experience of trying to bring her uh, her over I I haven't really talked to that many immigrants about this but I am curious um, what is the what is the process uh, like to apply to come here as as an immigrant and because I, I imagine that that there is a lengthy uh, bureaucratic paper trail and uh, process yep. that you that you have Super-
1: to- Super bureaucratic,
0: <laughs> yeah. Super bureaucratic and uh, basically worthless. <laughs> so, um, is, so yeah. is is it just a is it just a lot of uh, is it just a lot of uh, paperwork or because the, the one the one thing that I hear from you know liberals all, all the time is that the the process is you know difficult to get through just because there's so much paperwork. Um, so that. That's kind of their excuse for illegal immigration.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, th- there should not be any excuse for illegal immigration, <laughs> right? But, uh, but like, uh, they somewhat have a point actually when they say, "Well, it does take a while to come here, though." And uh, now with my wife is a little bit different. Uh, the paperwork was slightly different than regular immigration work because um, uh, I, I had to do a I had to do a K one visa. So she had to so she had to apply for a K1 visa. A one visa is a, is a is known as the fiance visa. So um, because when I was bringing her over here, she was still my fiance. she's not my wife, and um, right. which actually makes it easier. So for example, let's say now actually uh, to anyone who's listening, and if you want to marry, <clears throat> if you want to marry a woman who's overseas, don't marry her. Um, don't marry her in, in her country. Bring her over here to America first or, or, and, and then uh, do that because if you marry first and then try to bring your, your, your spouse over here, it's, a, it's called. there's a different visa for that. It's a spousal visa. Now, that takes even longer. And that's, and that's more strenuous. And the wait time is longer for that. <laughs> but uh, the, the fiancé visa is what, what my wife at the time, when she was my fiancé, she applied for. And that is actually, um, it's um, it's a little different than your typical immigration visa. And um, because I, I'm, because I also had to say that I'm her sponsor, because it, there are questions like, who's your sponsor? And she says, you know, well, he's my sponsor and yeah, he's supposed to support me like while I'm here in the United States. Because, you know, uh, when you thought they have documents, uh, they want to know who's going to sponsor you. So you won't be a burden. Uh, so, like, you need to have a sponsor when you come here, and so I have to fill out uh, all that paperwork. Now, the problem is that the wait time, uh, like, it's ridiculous. Like, so I'll I'll fill out a bunch of paperwork, I'll submit it, and then like we, we wait, we're waiting, we're waiting for uh, for them to contact me or her or both of us and say, hey, uh, like, you need to do this, right? We right. got we got the paper now fill out this paper and like i remember i filled out some little short form and it took them another month just to get back to me and and again it's psychologically it's kind of like oh you're wondering will they approve it will they not and you're just worried right right. and then like right after we filled out all the hard stuff like um and basically uh and then like finally we got to like like the final phase final stage of thought this time I had to fill out some more stuff on the internet and I had to fill out all her information what's interesting a lot of it is also repetitive that's that's the that's the, another part uh it's lots of repetition of the same old questions like your dad's name your parent your mom's name and what, what was your mom's maiden name and and uh done like mm-hmm. oh so I remember I had to fill that out I had to like uh fill that stuff all over again the final phase and then there were some questions like uh like, uh, are you a member of, are you a member of the communist party? Are you a member of some criminal group? If uh, obviously smart person say no, <laughs> right? But right. Like, and then like, but then like, but if if you if you are or if you were, can you list the name of the group? <laughs> all, all that stuff, and it just becomes really strenuous. And like, uh, so liberals do have somewhat of a point when they say that is uh, super hard to come here. Now and then. After that, I remember they sent an email to my wife saying, well, now you need to go to um, oh, your local police station and ask them for a background check. And then she needs to uh, get the background check from them. And then she had, she had to submit all the info uh, uh, back to um, to, our, to our government uh, workers who were doing our paperwork. And again, it's just a loss of back and forth, a loss of paperwork. And, um I also thinking uh, they they could have saved time if they only just uh, requested a background to check information that uh, that is it like uh, basically like uh personally I think it should just be like like at least five pages you know like one is about what's your background and your history and then you're, then you need some some information about your criminal background that's it and but unfortunately, like um government needs a lot of personal questions and it just gets, i guess repetitive and it's just really boring and it's just a complete waste of time but and and after you submit all that stuff after you wasted all your time trying like to uh through that stuff they tell you okay well it could take about a year okay take about two years <laughs> and um but luckily um like um we got everything done in 6 months so like we were very lucky like that like, like for us it was 6 months uh, others wait like a year or two yeah.
0: Wow. That's the whole, that's the whole process. So. Yeah. And it and it sounds to me like, it sounds to me like they sent you paperwork, but then they also um, made you fill out stuff online as well for for a yeah, lot of the yeah. same stuff. Yeah. Like yeah.
1: final page, uh, I had to fill out fill out with this long thing on, on the internet. It took forever. But,
0: I mean, yeah. Not yeah. Not forever. But it just
1: got it just really annoying. <laughs>
0: It, it, it's, it seems to me, um, I mean, I've talked to people on both sides sides of the aisle about, about this and it, it seems to me like one of the things that would be beneficial in terms of reforming immigration is to put the entire thing um, online, you know, and maybe just have like different, you know, langui- languages like that. You, you know, they have that for almost, you know, every other website out there now so it just seems to me like they should be able to digitize all there that. Has to be, so. yeah
1: there has to be some kind of reform and there has to be some kind of way that would they could shorten it because i mean yeah. uh, uh they still asked my wife to then go to the local authorities and ask them to print out a copy of all her background criminal background and then she had to scan it and then send it to them right uh, so, yeah so um i mean like a like, uh, but they only asked that, like, after we filled out a bunch of paperwork, then we had to wait a while, and then, like, close, like, they basically asked for that info close to the end when, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so, then, like, um, before she, and, and also part of the final phase, she had to go to, like, uh the U.S. Uh, embassy at the Capitol, so she had to waste money, like, actually, I had to send her money so that she may take the train to go all the way to the Capitol, <laughs> To have an interview with uh, one of the consulate, one of the, one of the US consulates at, at the capital in Ukraine. So, like, <laughs> uh, there's so it's just an, another, another waste of time. And again, if the person doesn't like you, they could just uh, say, oh, you're not approved.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, so. and like, it basically, like, all those months could have been just wasted for nothing.
0: Yeah. And, and then, and then you have to start the entire process all over again. All over again. So.
1: That is correct. So,
0: yeah. um yeah I mean so we're, blessed, we're blessed, so yeah. yeah, we're very fortunate. yeah, yeah. and th- and thank God for that. so um I mean, so what other issues um, besides immigration are uh, are hot topic you know issues well, in, for you? strong national defense for you.
1: like when you need a strong national defense, I believe for this country, I mean, it ties in with uh, border security. Right, but uh the reason why I bring up national defense is because um like we keep uh, uh wasting lots of money now, I'm going to talk about some wasteful spending, too, so like it all ties in together, and the problem with Congress today, Congress does not care about whether or not they uh spend your money like um like there's a like there's a list out there where uh, like the government spends money on, on foreign on foreign things, on domestic things. And you're wondering where that money goes. And, for example, like, I believe, like, if, uh, there, there, there's a story where, um, like, in, there was an incident in Syria where uh, our government under Obama tried to find uh, rebel groups that were pro-Western. So, like, the moder- they were looking for moderate to rebel groups in Syria. And they found 60 men. They were able to gather 60 men. And uh, they spent 200 200- 200 million dollars training the, those 60 guys to fight against both ISIS and against Assad. So after those 60 guys were trained, when the, when it came to actual fighting, half of them scattered, the other half joined ISIS. And and there you go. That, that's one example. The government, our government, is wasting our tax dollars dollars on useless endeavors like that. 60 guys were trained, and half of them joined ISIS. And two, like $200 million were wasted. And that's our tax dollars right there. That's one example out of thousands upon thousands of examples of the government spending money. And so like one of my goals as a congressman would be to hold Congress accountable and to ask the action, not just Congress, but the government accountable. Like I, I would actually demand that we uh, have the government present to us a list of what our money is being spent on and, uh, for example, um, like recently we had this, well, I guess, are we going through, I believe we're going through a shutdown currently, because I, I guess the Democrats don't want funding for our military. Yeah. They, yeah. Yes. The, uh, and so, yeah. like, uh, well, like, a, there's an example right there. Um, our government w- wants to uh, spend money on useless endeavors. And but when it comes to our military, it comes to our border security and national def- defense oh, we don't have any money for that. All, all of a sudden, like, we just don't have money for that. But we do have money on useless endeavors overseas. And uh, again, I, and that, that, that example with Syria, that's just one example. One example out of thousands. Like, what else is the government spending money on? Or here's another one. Um, uh, and this this is only city governments. Like, uh, in New York City, uh, John Stossel did a report where uh, basically uh, New York like uh, the city spent like, like a, a couple like two million dollars to build a useless, well not useless but just a, like a just a regular public bathroom and and, and then like not far yeah, from it, yeah some, some private person and some private person built a bathroom for like I believe like two hundred grand, and it was way better and there's more people going waiting in lines going to that bathroom than the public bathroom, <laughs> And the public bathroom like cost. And there you go. That's just an example. That. That's just city government. That's city government spending yeah. millions of dollars on useless stuff. Imagine what the federal government spending on. <laughs> and, and again, I already told you the thing about Syria. Well, what else is out there? Like, we need to have a big list. And in Congress, I will bring it up. I will say, I will ask, I'll ask, what are you guys spending our, t- our tax dollars on? Like, where's our money going? Why don't we have enough for the veterans? Why don't we, we have enough for the American people? Like there's, there's something wrong like none that none of this makes sense and unfortunately current congressmen they're not bringing that up like they're not even talking about that like um and they're all just you know I, I have not like it's very rare when you see a congressman or a senator like standing up for the american people and asking where is our money going
0: yeah um yeah, I mean, it it seems like there there's there's still I mean Trump is draining the swamp, but there still is a lot of government uh, waste. Uh. Well,
1: it's just one person,
0: and uh, he's surrounded by a bunch of
1: like um, a bunch of um, baby boomers who I don't know like uh, like uh, I guess they're just really corrupt because like, I don't know how else to explain this. Like, like why 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 is the government so big the way it is? Why is it so big? But then. Uh, but then, like, uh, they don't have enough to take care of veterans. It's so big, but they don't have enough money to uh, have strong border security. Like, you know, you know what I mean, right? Like- yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, all, I mean, all I can say is I think, uh, you know, a lot of this bureau- bureaucracy has uh, been building up over the past, uh 75 80 years, you know, longer than both you and I have been alive. So obviously it's obviously it took a long time to to build, you know, all this um, you know, bureaucratic infrastructure up. And so, you know, it's probably going to take just as long if not longer to tear it all down, but I I do agree with you. We have to we have to start somewhere. So
1: and, I mean, uh, Congress, uh, I believe is a perfect place to start. And, uh, like, uh, I, I tell people, if I'm actually in Congress, uh, <laughs> like, remember, I got, like, no lobbyists backing me up. I, I'm zero, like, I got no connections to any establishment politicians. <laughs> I'm just a regular person, a regular person who wants to represent uh, uh, not not just CD9, but the American people. Like, and I believe that, like, it's time that like regular people just start uh, getting active and just start running, like forget forget these experienced politicians and their, uh, um, like their beautiful track records of conservatism. But then like all of a sudden, once they get elected to you to the U.S. Senate to Congress, they don't do anything. They don't do anything to shrink the government. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean. It- I mean, the, the, the bureaucracy is just really shameful. So I I agree. And and
1: it's not, it's not just the, it's not just regular people. that need to start running. It's millennials. And like, uh, I spoke to the college Republicans United at ASU uh, last week, actually not last last week, a couple of days ago. And like, I told them, look, look, guys, you guys are millennials too. Start running for office. You know, look, look it up. (laughs) Like, uh, city government state government whatever you want to run for if you if if you fit the age requirement go for it (laughs) run for that yeah that office because we need more millennials more conservative republican millennials uh trying to run up run for office and if you look at democrats right uh like half of them they're pretty young and it's very sad that our generation millennials that 70% of them are seduced by this idea called socialism. And, uh, and they follow guys like Bernie Sanders, right? Right. And like, uh, but you have to give credit to the Democrats, give them some credit that they're able to, let's say, attract the young people. While the GOP is not really doing much to attract the young people, we have good voices. Uh, we have good, strong, logical voices uh, uh, who are young, but unfortunately, they're not running for office, right? And like, uh, and so like, I'm thinking, well, then I'll just run. Like, uh, I'll I'll actually, uh, do it. I'll be a conservative millennial who's actually going to stand up and try to uh, go against the system.
0: <laughs> hey, my hey, might as well, and hopefully, your actions will inspire others to, uh, you know, run themselves. So. I really, uh, I really, I really hope, I really hope
1: that I really hope it happens. I, I, I would love to see more millennials get on, get on board and to and start fighting for our country because remember these baby boomers who are currently in office, they'll get, they'll get their social security checks. They'll get their money. Like uh, us millennials, I don't know, but we millennials, uh, it's like we're going to be responsible for our kids and not just for our kids, for our grandchildren's future as well.
0: Right. Well, and it's, you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, because millennials, you know, we're all, we're already starting to, I mean, I have a few friends who, you know, I, I just turned 23, but I I already have friends, you know, who, who have kids already. And so, you know, that's, you know, yeah, I mean, all of that is starting. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need we do need to secure not only our future, but the future of our kids as well, so. Um.
1: And there's another thing uh, that we need to focus on, I'd say, is foreign policy. Uh, again, the baby boomers, uh, honestly, the ones that are currently sitting in the Senate, in the Congress, it doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat, they actually don't know what's going on overseas. They really don't. <laughs> I mean, like... Um, even if they do, like even even if some of them go overseas, like John McCain, <laughs> they'll be they'll be hanging out with the wrong group of people. Like they'll say, "Oh, these are the good guys, you know." And here I am, here they are posing, taking pictures with the supposed good guys. Turns out those good guys are bad guys.
0: <laughs>
1: right. And again, you, no apologies from John McCain. Like when people said, "Oh, hey, John McCain, those guys, they're they're Al Qaeda. Those are bad guys. Those are our enemies. Why are you taking pictures with them?" Like, You're right. Uh, nope. No apologies from him, and because you know he doesn't—he doesn't believe that he's wrong. He doesn't believe those are bad guys, and it's not just him. But uh, there are other politicians, the ones that who do go overseas. Again, they'll, they'll they'll support the wrong side, and I believe that there's uh, more to it than like them being wrong. I think, like um, I don't want to get into it too far, too much. But basically, uh, when it comes to foreign policy, uh, I, like uh, we're so close to World War Three. And we need um, people, like I say, it would actually help us if we had, let's say, maybe a few French immigrants, a few German immigrants in Congress, in the Senate. And maybe because, for example, um, like uh, the congressmen and senators currently, they don't know a lot of the mentality of people overseas. They don't know how people overseas think. They don't know why a certain country would act a certain way. They don't understand that. And it, w- it would be nice to have kind of have a few politicians in Congress where where they're not so ignorant of what's going on, where you could actually have some voice of reason in there. And there's, that's another thing. Um, like um, as an immigrant, I actually understand the mentality of at least 15 different nationalities. And because my parents are from the Soviet union, well, like, it wasn't just uh, Russia and Ukraine and Belarus it was a bunch of other countries that were involved as well. And after the Soviet union bro- uh, broke apart, um, like basically some countries decide to be allies with the United States. Some the countries decide to be allies with, with Russia. And like uh, so, and a lot of the senators and Congress people, they don't know this t- type of history. They don't take the time to study the history of certain countries, of certain um, uh, of certain religions or cultures. They don't understand that, and that is why we're always so close to World War III. Like because there's something that our government does that just kind of angers a different country, and then we're thinking, what's going on? And again, we need some voice of reason in Congress and in the Senate.
0: Right, right, yeah. And it seems to me like you're you're going to be one of one of those voices, if not the sole voice, uh, for the time being. So, well, um, well I
1: mean, uh, like if I am elected, like I will try my best to be on that voice of reason. <laughs> well,
0: I well, I really appreciate what what you're doing. So. Uh, Mark, where can we find you online and where can people go to support your campaign?
1: Uh, yes, uh, basically, um, if they would like to support my campaign, they may go to my website, mark And folks, and, uh, that, that's
0: that's the number four, I believe, in Mark 4.
1: Yes, that's, uh, yeah. the number four. So when they say Mark 4 Arizona, it's just number four, mark4arizona.com and the website um will have a link um where they could donate um and uh basically like support the campaign from there and if anyone lives in arizona cd9 they could sign the online petition there's also a link to that as well so anyone who's listening they live in arizona uh you could sign the petition online as well
0: yeah we 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 do have we do have a few listeners in arizona actually so uh our affiliates over there should uh, you know sign that petition as well. So uh, and you and folks, you can also follow Mark on Twitter at Mark for Arizona. And uh, do you have do you have a Facebook page for your campaign as well?
1: Uh, yes, um, my Facebook page is Mark uh, uh, Mark for Congress, and then like uh, I also have a group called uh, Mark for Congress as well. And uh, so you can find it, so you can find the page, you can find the, the group on Facebook.
0: Alrighty. Well, that that sounds good. Mark, I want to thank you for coming on the program. And uh, folks, we'll have all that information about Mark uh, linked on our websites in in the uh, show notes uh, portion of the website. So, Mark, thank you for coming on the program and I uh, really appreciate your time. Good luck. Alright folks, and that concludes our interview for today and pretty much our entire show for today. I want to thank Mark for coming on the program and as I mentioned at the end of the interview, I wish him the best of luck in his campaign for Congress running in Arizona. You can check out his website and his Twitter page at markforarizona.com. Again, that's Mark for the number 4arizona.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Mark4Arizona I'll have all those details listed in the podcast show notes as usual if you're on taperight you can access those immediately just by clicking on the links in the corresponding card uh, folks by the way you may have heard uh, what sounds like uh, cassette tape effects in the podcast and I inserted those on purpose uh, those aren't me, the, those are real royalty free audio sound effects but those uh, tape player sound effects are to signify the transition between interviews and uh quote unquote live audio which is what I'm doing right now I figured it would kind of be my way of transitioning between the two and it would also kind of give the podcast a cinematic feel and best of all the sound effects are free so I did add those uh, tape sound effects on purpose kind of giving you a little behind the scenes look at the show here and uh so when you hear those cassette uh sound effects in the future that means that we will be transitioning to and from an interview you'll hear them before the interview starts and then when the interview ends you'll hear the other tape sound effect which means that i'm transitioning back to the quote-unquote live recording of the audio for the podcast Alright folks, so that just about does it for our first show of 2018. I want to thank you for joining me this week and for this episode we will be back for another edition of The Whitfield Report uh, sometime later this week or early next week. And from all of us here at NGC Studios and American Watchmen, Good night, good day, God bless and God save this great nation. Thank you for listening to the Weekfield Report. It's going to be a great year.